What's happening, everybody? Welcome in to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. So glad to be with you. We got plenty to do on a Wednesday. We're going to have Amari Rogers stopping by with DB Sidhu a little later in the show for a deep slant interview. We got it in the lab that's really fun in some sense with Drew Doherty. Uh, it's a little sad, but we know the uh, the old ball coach, the Pirate, would have liked uh, what we talked about. Maybe he didn't, but Drew stops by with me, and we talk a little bit about Mike Leach and uh, what the impact he had uh, on the game, on everybody. Uh, it's just amazing and so sad that he has gone at the age of 61. RIP, coach. We're also going to have Mark stop by uh, with me, and then we will have Mitch Holtis, play-by-play man of the Kansas City Chiefs, been doing it since 1994. You've heard his voice so often if you watch mic'd up shows or turning point shows because the Chiefs have been playing in some big games. So you've heard Mitch Holtis. He'll stop by for our men behind the mics a little later in the show. But we kick it off with general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. We had a blast talking with Nick as we do each and every week. Let's dive in right here. Here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, we're visiting with Nick Casario, general manager of your Texans. Nick, great to see you. Uh, Before we talk about the game and what's going on this week, I know Mike Leach, the passing, has affected so many people in the football world and beyond. Your thoughts? Yeah, incredibly sad news, I think, for college football. Um, Impact a lot of people, a lot of coaches, a lot of players. Had a significant impact on the college game, going back to, you know, his time there with – Coach Mummy, you know, even Valdosta, University of mm-hmm. Kentucky, Tim Couch. Um, you've seen a lot of coaches, the system that they put in place. I mean, it's lasted however many years. So um, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate. It just kind of puts everything in perspective. I mean, 61 years old. I mean, here he was. He came off the a great win for the program however many weeks mm-hmm. ago, the Egg Bowl um, against Ole Miss. And then to have something like this happen, I mean, it's just kind of, it's shocking and it's sad. Um, but he impacted a lot, uh, impacted the game in a positive way, impacted a lot of players, a lot of coaches, and he's going to be, you know, sorely missed. Yeah, there's no doubt. And it's hard transition out of that into, hey, what happened in a football game? But that's what we got to do. Nick can talk about the Dallas game. So close at, at the end there. Uh, goal lines, there's so many good things, Nick. What stood out to you the most about the progress made in the game against Dallas? Yeah, the effort and the consistency with which we've competed has been there from the beginning, and I think you saw that. Um, guys played with good energy, with good emotion, um, had our opportunities. Uh, in the end, it kind of came down to you know execution in certain situations, which we've talked about this in previous shows. It's a handful of plays in each game, and if you're able to execute those plays and you give yourself an opportunity, if you don't, then you're not sure how it's going to go. But you know, players fought hard, players competed. Um, we had our chance there um, in the end, just kind of situationally didn't execute well enough, um, be able to create uh, some takeaways, took the ball away. Um, offensively, we gave it to them. I mean, it was really one, and one at the end was you know just circumstantial. So. I uh, had our chances against a good team. Um, you know, just got to be a little bit better in some of those critical situations because in the end, that's what the game's come down to. Well, what about certain guys taking their game up to another level, really, on this occasion, especially, Nick? This time of year, a lot of guys banged up. We talk about the young guys, the rookies all the time. They're all kind of young. But what about a guy like Chris Moore or Traymond Smith stepping up big in that sort of way? Yeah, those two players specifically have been consistent in their roles since when we first brought them into the program. So, Trayvon has had experience as a returner. He's played uh, defensively at different points. So, you know, when you look at building the depth of your team, the depth of your roster, like you need players like that. And 
when they're put in a position where they have maybe a little bit more expansive role, you want to be able to trust them in that capacity. So um, it's a credit to those players, um, their persistence. I mean, Tremont's been in the league a handful of years now. Chris has been in the league same number of years, give or take. Um, it's really kind of maybe the first opportunity for Chris to play extensive snaps on an offensive basis this season more than anything. He's on pace for career highs in a number of areas. But those players, they're, they're effective in their role. When we sign them is with the intention of to give us some depth in the back end of the roster, their respective roles. And anytime you have backups, whether it's their third or fourth corner, fourth or fifth corner, and then fourth or fifth receiver offensively, the role in a kicking game is a big part of them actually getting to the game and then being able to give them something to do on their respective side of the ball. And those guys have embraced those opportunities. And Traymon has been put in that situation previously. You know, he's had some success. Um, and Chris has been very consistent, I would say, with his attitude. I mean, here's a guy who played however many snaps he played offensively, and there he is on the punt team down in the ball inside the five-yard line. So that type of attitude, that type of mindset, that type of uh, mentality, you know, it's it's great to see. It's great to see those players rewarded. But they, they, they've earned it. Nobody gave them anything. Mm -hmm. They earned it with their consistency and their performance day to day. And when you try to build the overall depth of your roster, you know, you have to have players in those respective roles understand what their role is and do their job and embrace it and go out there and perform it at a, at a good level. We talked a lot, Nick, going into the game about Micah Parsons. And I always feel like you can find a result. You look at your team, you look for positive things that your team did. Sometimes you can look at the other side and see what that team didn't do. And as soon as you pick up the game book, and it felt that way throughout the game, I'm like, man, Parsons, where's Parsons? The offensive line seemed to do a really good job on Parsons, knowing where he was, how to handle him, uh, and to really limit his impact. And it felt as the game wore on, he, I don't want to say shrunk, but it just felt like he's just another guy out there. He wasn't really making the impact that he had throughout the year. How did you see the offensive line and the game plan to slow him down, to keep him from making that impact? Yeah, no, it's a credit to everybody involved. I mean, Mike is a dynamic player. I think kind of the way the game plan was constructed, how he ended up playing the game, you know, with the – with Jeff's role, yeah. you know, it's mitigated maybe some of the things that Micah does well. I mean, however many times we actually dropped back pass and threw right. the ball, you know, it was, you know, 20-ish, somewhere in that 20 to 25. And so, you know, when you mix the timing, the passing in there a little bit, kind of mix the game plan, what you're doing offensively, hopefully you can keep a guy like that off balance. So each week there's going to be a challenge on the other side of the ball. Um, what Micah does well, Micah's very gifted. Um, but, you know, fortunately we're able to kind of, you know, limit his production. I mean, different, but – It'll be a similar challenge this week with Chris Jones when, you know, once we get to the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick, Jeff Driscoll, former tight end, former quarterback, now a quarterback again, and a unique kind of quarterback. What about his skill set, bringing that to the table and playing a ton of snaps in this game against Dallas? Yeah, Jeff's smart. He's big and he's strong and he's fast. So when you talk about quarterbacks, those variables and qualities, you don't necessarily equate with that position. But Jeff, I mean, he's 6'4". 225, 30 pounds, he runs 4'5", four, 4'4", four, four, whatever it is. He's just a different type of, I would say, picture at that position. Um, and Jeff, we talked about this in the offseason. Jeff worked really hard in the offseason to improve um, some of his throwing mechanics and some of the throwing aspects. So in the end, playing quarterback, like, you know, you're going to have to be able to throw the ball. You have to throw the ball at some point. So, mm -hmm. But Jeff was able to, um, I would say, execute the plays that we asked him to do and kind of play to his strengths there a little bit. But Jeff's been great to work with. He's had a good attitude. You know, we probably did him a little bit of a disservice last year, kind of flip-flopping him back and forth. But he never complained. So it kind of speaks to him as a person about his attitude. And he just kept working. Um, and he took advantage of the opportunity when he was called upon, which is a credit to him, like we talked about with Chris and, and Tremont. No matter the season, Nick, whether you're 
13-1 right now or you're 111-1 or whatever it is right now, the roster just continues to churn. And over the last couple of weeks, you picked up a couple of players through the waiver claims that made an impact on Sunday. Amari Rogers and Taylor Stallworth. One on both sides of the ball. What did you see from each of those guys in didn't get to play, I don't know, not full snaps, but I think Taylor was probably 18 to 20 snaps, had a TFL, felt like he was playing pretty hard on the inside. And Mari Rogers obviously had the big touchdown, but he also had four catches in total. What did you see from those two guys that you claimed a few weeks ago? Yeah, when you get to this point in the season, week 13, 14, 15, 16, inevitably you're going to have to bring new players onto the team. You know, the chances of who you start the season with in September, that group of players making it all the way, it's probably unrealistic because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that can happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. We deal with it. The rest of the league is dealing with right. it. You watch a game. <laughs> there's guys looking around going, where did he come from? You know, <laughs> yeah. never heard of him. He wasn't yeah. on the team. So it's just a matter of looking at our situation or if there's an opportunity for us to add a player that we think maybe can help us once he gets familiar with what we're doing. I would say in those particular situations are kind of different. So, you know, claim to Mare two, three weeks ago, whatever it was. So I think when you go back into Mare, you have to go back to maybe some of the things that we thought of him coming out of Clemson right. um, because the body of work at Green Bay really didn't have that many opportunities. But had a chance to handle the ball mostly as a punt returner and had some success, had some plays where he put the ball on the ground a little bit. But I think you saw the physical traits, the physical attributes. Um, he was a good run-after-catch player, had good lower body strength. He was tough. He had good hands coming out of Clemson. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't work out at Green Bay. You know, that's simply the first player that's going to happen to or the last player. So, um, so when we brought him in, the hope was at some point, like he'd have an opportunity to get on the field and play. And, you know, another player that went out there and took advantage of his opportunity. He's had a good attitude. He had a good mindset. He has a decent physical skill level. Taylor, a little bit different. I mean, got here Wednesday, you know, didn't really practice Wednesday, practiced Thursday, um, kind of got ready to play. So it's credit to him. It's credit to the you know, coaching staff and, you know, Jacques kind of getting those, getting him ready to play. But has some experience. He played, I want to say, 300-some plays last year for Indianapolis. I uh, was in training camp, and then he was on on and off kind of Kansas City's roster, practice squad to the roster, played about 50 snaps. So when you just look at the body of work, you know, it's a player that had some traits um, and qualities that we thought potentially could fit what we're doing. And, you know, we had some moving parts in a defensive line. We've had some guys in and out. Kurt was, Kurt, was Kurt was injured. We have some different guys at different points. So, I mean, that's the NFL. That's the way it works. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be another player here that we're not talking about that's going to end up on our team. That's going to end up playing here. So, I mean, over the next four weeks or whatever it is, I'd say there's a good chance you're going to see that throughout the course of the league. Well, in the things you don't care about department, <laughs> Green Bay Twitter was going nuts when <laughs> Rodgers caught that touchdown pass, <laughs> just so you know, Nick. Uh, you're facing the Chiefs. Before we talk about them specifically, Andy Reid, the great coaches over time evolve. I mean, he's been coaching a long time as a head coach. You worked with Belichick. You've seen that up close and personal. You talk about going back to Shula and people like that. What is it about evolving with the game when you're coaching for a couple of decades plus in this league? Yeah, I mean, wherever Andy's been, he's been successful. I mean, a lot of respect and admiration for Coach Reed and what he's done. You go back and look what he did at Philadelphia. I mean, they won 10 games over many years. Very consistent with what they did. It wasn't always the same. And then when he went to Kansas City, he kind of implemented his program in different ways. Um, you know, they kind of started with Alex Smith. Even, you know, they drafted Patrick, but Patrick didn't play for a year. So it really just speaks to Andy's, you know, ingenuity and just his ability to kind of look beyond, well, maybe we did it this way, but I think evolution and the ability to adapt and adjust, I mean, and be progressive with your thinking, that's what the NFL has become. And Andy is a good example of that, and there's a reason he's had as much success and there's a reason that he's going to the Hall of Fame. So um, they've done a great job, I would say, of putting the team together. It's interesting when you actually look at their team, it's a combination of <laughs> a lot of younger players 
including rookies that are making a contribution mm-hmm. and a number of veteran players that they've acquired at different points. So um, Andy's one of the best coaches in the history of our sport. Um, so whenever he's done coaching, whenever he decides he's had enough, I'm sure not too long there, shortly thereafter, he'll be, you know, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. This guy, Patrick, you speak of. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, Mahomes. Yes. Okay. Lucas Patrick, deep Patrick, offensive line. Heard of him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Chiefs. I always love this aspect of throwing a team to you and just letting you go. It's always a way to check myself, like, okay, did I forget about this guy? Because you always give us who we need to watch and what that team is all about. And I know a lot of people have seen the Chiefs. It's a pretty popular team. They play in a lot of primetime games, so people have seen them. But what have you seen from the Chiefs this year, Nick? Yeah, I mean, look, everybody talks about um, Patrick and Kelsey, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the one thing about Kelsey He's actually gotten better as a player. I know not that, you know, Travis is a really good player, but I think he's kind of evolved as a player. Um, he's a difficult to match up as there is in the league. So in the way they displace him, the way they use him, he's just such a very instinctive, savvy player with really good hands. Yep. And there's a trust factor that built has been built up between him and Mahomes. So everybody talks about those two players, and rightfully so. They're probably two of the best players at their respective positions in the league. I'd say just to touch briefly on Patrick, the way he kind of manipulates and maneuvers within the pocket is probably kind of what separates him in addition to just his overall awareness and instinctiveness. He has a way to kind of move up and out and slide, and he's looking to throw when he runs, which not all quarter, quarterbacks are doing that. So in addition to all his physical skills and attributes, were, which are immense, his ability to kind of understand and his instinctiveness and ability to play is kind of very unique. But They've kind of reshaped the offensive line a little bit when you actually look at it. So kind of right to left. So Wiley, you know, who's kind of been a swing guy. Now he's playing right tackle. Um, you know, he drafted Trey Smith, who we, you know, was a, a 2021 draft, and he had a medical condition. There was some not sure if he could play, and he basically has been a starter day one. Um, they drafted Humphrey last year um, in, in the second round, which is a player that we actually like. We thought we might have a chance there at the bottom of the round, and then <laughs> – they actually ended up drafting him and Bolton, <laughs> you know, so it's a way the cookie crumbles sometimes. And then they signed Tooney, you know, who, uh, you know, we have experience, I have experience with there in New England and they traded for Orlando. So kind of have reshaped over the last year or two, the offensive line. Um, and they've really gotten really pr- a good production from Pacheco. I mean, here's a yeah, guy, yeah. seventh round draft pick, not highly thought of. They have Edward Salier. Edward Salier has kind of been hurt. Um, or what have you. So Pacheco goes in there, and he's been kind of one of their better offensive players here the last however many weeks. So between him and McKinnon, they kind of have a good one-two punch there. Kelsey, you know, and then the receivers, they've kind of rotated a number of players through there. You're starting to see Sky Moore play more, more opportunities. Juju's playing more inside the formation, inside Valdez-Scantling. So it's maybe necessarily about one particular player. It's a combination of all their skill players, which puts a lot of stress on the defense. So They've done a great, great job of kind of using everybody, um, and you know they're hard to defend, obviously. Um, and then defensively, you know with Spags, I mean, Spags has a long history with Coach Reed, going back to Philadelphia. Um, Spags has been a really good defensive coordinator league for a long time. I mean, he, you know, unfortunately was with the Giants a couple of those years when you know we played yeah. him in the Super Bowl. Um, but Spags has a very, I would say, distinct style of how he wants to play. Very aggressive, um, pressure-minded coach. They play more press coverage than any team in the league. So they kind of play to how they play, and they have a certain, I would say, profile of what they look for in the secondary. Um, and they're playing essentially like four, three or four rookies at corner. So McDuffie's playing a lot. Um, Watson's played. They're playing Williams, a Fayetteville State kid who they took in yep. the fourth round. 
So they're playing. Sneed is an interesting guy. You know, was a safety slash corner at La Tech. Kind of started safety, then they moved to corner. Um, but they're big, long, and fast. I mean, all of them except for McDuffie are six foot and above, 195, 200 pounds, and are all fast. All right, and they're good at line of scrimmage. Um, you know, Justin's done a good job for them here as well. And the Thornhill's kind of been, I'd say, a steadying presence or force. So their secondary, they kind of reshaped the whole corner position. A lot of younger players added a couple of veterans here and there. And then in the front, I mean, really, it starts with Bolton and I would say Chris Jones. I mean, those two players, Bolton is as good of a linebacker as in the league. I don't think anybody really talks about him that much, but he's very instinctive. He's very aware. He's a great communicator, leads your team in tackles. I mean, he's basically played since day one. And then Jones is a matchup problem wherever you put him, whether he's inside, whether he's outside, and, you know, defensive end. He can rush from the perimeter. He can rush inside, which not a lot of guys can do that. You know, and they've gotten good production from Carl Loftus here, um, you know, as well. Um, and then Frank Clark. So, again, it, when you look at their team, it's you think, well, it's a veteran kind of experienced team. It is, but they're playing as many rookies probably as we are um, in, throughout mm. the course of the season. So it's kind of interesting when you look at their team. Nick, along those lines, Pacheco wears 10, and you watch him on film, and you're like, boy, he looks like Tyreek. But obviously <laughs> yeah. Tyreek is not there. How is the offense in, in what you've studied? How has the offense for Kansas City evolved without Tyreek? With ju- well, I shouldn't say just Kelsey, but you mentioned those guys. They're different. They're not Tyreek, though. How's the offense sort of evolved without him? Yeah, I think there's been a like, maybe bigger distribution of targets. I mean, target uh, the, Kelsey is the most targeted player offensively, so it's kind of Kelsey to Juju, um, and then they've kind of reallocated some of the other throws. Valdez Scantling kind of has the things that he does well. I mean, one guy they've actually gotten decent production out, out of, who's kind of different, but like Chris Moore, kind of in his backup role is Watson. Yep. You know, a kid from Penn that yep. was down in Tampa Bay. So they just vary. They have a very number of ways that they can actually attack a defense. They're primarily an 11 personnel team, so the formations are pretty much opened up formations. But they do a good job of using motion and kind of putting people in spots. And then Patrick is so in tune with what's going on mentally, he can anticipate. Um, but there's certainly a trust factor, you know, with between him and Kelsey. Not that he doesn't trust the other players, but in critical situations, I mean, Kelsey's the go-to guy. And even when you think you have him doubled, he still makes the play. So they just put a lot of stress and a lot of tax on a defense. So you're just going to have to make sure that, you I mean, you can't look, you can't defend everybody. You just have to be disciplined, understand maybe some of the concepts they might repeat during the course of the game um, and just try to see if you can disrupt the quarterback the best you can. But he does a good job, like we, like I said, of kind of maneuvering around. And at times it's really hard, you know, hard to get to him. Nick, when Mahomes was coming out, where you were, you weren't going to take him. But as you evaluate a player like that, and this applies to a lot of guys, I would imagine, he didn't come from a program where he won big. It wasn't like they were horrible, but they weren't winning big, winning national championships. How do you evaluate the will-to-win factor of what he does along with the skill set, the amazing throws, and all of that? Yeah, you put it all together. And I think kind of going back to what you talked about with Coach Reed, just kind of evolving and then you look at their team this year, I think it's a really good example. So a lot of new players, a lot of new faces. And then they had a system that they put in place kind of when Alex was there. And then, okay, once they made a decision to go to Patrick, then, all right, what are the things that, that he does well? So it's about the player, it's about the program, and it's about kind of what you do around that player as well. So it kind of all fits together. So I think sometimes we all get caught up in stats and, well, this guy's record was this and this guy had this many touchdowns and this many yards. That's a part of the evaluation. But the other areas that factor into the evaluation as well that you have to consider. One of the things Patrick said, I think in his rookie year, at the end of his rookie year, he talked about understanding 
defenses, understanding things that he was seeing. And he was like, boy, I didn't even know this as he was coming in. When you get young quarterbacks in the league, Nick, how often or how long does it take for them to sort of understand, okay, I know this is at least this coverage. I know it's this. I know where the soft spot is. How long does that kind of take for a quarterback? I mean, I know it's probably different for different guys, but on, on the average, how long does it take for a guy to kind of understand that stuff? John, it's a great question. It's, it, it varies. It takes time. It takes a lot of time because each team you play, their coverage composition is different. Right. So one's not one. So it's just not, well, it's cover one. Right, okay, right. two's not two. Right. Four's not four. I think the biggest difference is the complexity of coverage, especially, I would say, in the critical situations, which are third down to red area. Because I could, in, in, in our league, you allocate more time and resources, try to figure out who's the go-to player, what are they trying to do on this coverage? Okay, if they double this player, all right, where's my single? And you have to process that information quickly. So as much as you need to understand what's going on on the offensive side of the ball, learn the playbook and my drop and all that, what's going on on the other side of the ball is as important as anything because that allows you to play fast and anticipate, all right, when they play this technique, when he's inside leverage, all right, that's a trigger to, well, that's probably what the coverage is. And the teams that kind of mix and match and disguise, they show you one thing. Um, I'd say you're seeing more teams kind of play that shell coverage right. and then sort of drop in. Well, it looks like four, but it's not. It's really buzz. Okay, where's the curl flat player? How is he positioned? Those intricacies and nuances are probably the things that right. you're not going to learn right away. It's going to take a little bit of time, and then it's going to take repetition. And then each week, it's a different opponent. Like, there's not, well, 32 defense is all the same defense. How Kansas City plays defense, different how Tennessee plays mm. defense, different how Jacksonville plays defense, different how Dallas plays defense. And even go back to Dallas, when you look at what uh, DQ has done, it's not just, well, this is what they did when they were in Seattle. So they've evolved and they've modified. So I think teams are always trying to stay a step ahead. Mm -hmm. So playing quarterback, you best you can, you got to try to stay a step ahead and anticipate and then trust what you see and then verify the information. And once the game starts – all right, the coverage patterns usually declare about how a team is going to play. Nick, this is a very important question. We asked Lovey this as well. Uh, I'm sure when you're working away throughout the day, Christmas music is playing in your <laughs> office. Uh, but we're hearing it everywhere. I'm sure doing all your shopping, you're doing all day long. I'm just kidding around about that. But you have to give us an MVP or two for Christmas songs. And if you're wanting to put one on waivers, we'll take that information as well. I can't believe I'm actually going to. So my daughters sometimes think that their father is the Grinch. Okay. So we are <laughs> big fans of your mean one, Mr. Grinch. Okay. So oh, okay. unfortunately, good. I know that doesn't bring a lot of holiday cheer to a lot of people. But it's good for the team. But, <laughs> but so I'm I'm really not as much of a Grinch as they seem to think, but that's what they they would probably if you ask them they probably that would be their answer it's the greatest start to a christmas song ever you're a mean one <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got great. some pipes yeah, yeah. my fantastic. nickname at home is ebenezer so i'm right there with you nick <laughs> thanks a lot for joining us good luck thanks guys you're a mean one mr grinch yes that's right that's about the only thing i can sing is when i go down low in the bass but you know i like to sing every now and again just a little bit of you know what's coming next you know those kind of things i just like to throw it in there but appreciate you guys for humoring me speaking of what's coming up next mark vandermeer is going to stop by and i ask him this one simple question who is the greatest quarterback since 2014 the texans have faced now i use 2014 because that was my first year down on the sidelines who's the best quarterback we have faced that's next right here in texans all access Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Good catching up with Nick Casario. 
Mark, I got a different question to ask you, but mm -hmm. when Nick brought up Creed Humphrey, the center from Oklahoma, who's the second-year center, he'd arguably one of the better rookie years. Did your ears perk up? Because I know mine did. I kind of went, oh, now, I know you they weren't like going to get him in the third round at 67, but I thought it was interesting that he did admit how much they did like Creed Humphrey. Yeah, no, I know you liked him, Johnny, and I saw the body language as well. That video is up on YouTube, and I believe HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app as well, so you can watch Johnny's reaction to that. Uh, Nick Casario liking certain – look, I, I think these GMs like a lot of players, yeah, right? Yeah. You can't draft everybody. Absolutely. They have who they have, and that's why I like to ask about following players' careers and charting yourself. How good was your board three years ago – based on where the players are now in their performance level around the league, not mm -hmm. just your players, but everybody else's players. Right. We had this guy rated as a three, and look at him. He's performing as a five or as a one or whatever the case may be, right. just so you can measure your own evaluation skills as yep. a department, right? And I think that stuff is interesting, and it'll get a whole lot more interesting when we get into the offseason. Right now we have four games to play. We do, and we're going to face Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to ask you a question that you might – have to talk it out, and that's fine because we're on radio. Okay. Mahomes has arguably been on the sidelines now for nine years. You've been up at the booth since 2002. I don't even know if it's arguable. I mean, he and Josh Allen might be the two best that I can remember seeing. Now, we've, we've seen them all. Yeah. We've seen Brady at his prime. We've seen Aaron Rodgers in his prime uh, in an MVP year. We've seen, we've seen the great ones. Is Mahomes on his – Is he, I shouldn't even say it that way. Is he the best that we've seen live? And I'll just put it since 2014, since I got down on the sidelines, those nine years, is he the best that we've seen at the quarterback position? I think physical talent. Now, you've seen him a few times, but you have seen Peyton Manning a whole lot more, right? Yeah. And Manning yeah. wasn't – look, none of these guys – You guys saw Manning. I Well, I right. guess I caught him – Right at the end. Denver. Right at the end. No, it was preseason. Oh, yeah, you didn't see him. I missed I missed Manning down on the field. Yeah. Thank you God. Because 13 was the last right. time we saw him live. And right he was here. here. And he set the record for touchdown passes <sighs> in the season uh, with that game against the 2-14 and 14 Texans, or who would eventually be 2-14. and 14. You know, I, it's a great question. Like, who's the most talented quarterback the Texans have seen? It's either Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes in terms of raw talent. And Rodgers had that huge game here in 2012 on Sunday Night Football. Just a massive oh, game. Oh. And oh. Mahomes has had some awesome moments. The 2018, look, I don't want to bring it up again, the 2019 playoff game. But he was so good in that game as it went on. You know, early on, guys were dropping balls. There were a yeah. few misses. Texans built the big lead. But afterwards, it just felt like he couldn't miss. And good night, everybody. Game over. You know, they had a four-point lead at the half, and it felt insurmountable based on what had just happened. It felt like you were never going to come back from a four-point deficit 28-24. And you didn't. Uh, he's probably the best. But, Johnny, I think Brady in 2012, the Monday night game oh, yeah. and the playoff game, and Brady was already in the league for a decade plus, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But so a lot of people thought Brady's getting older now. <laughs> See, imagine that. He's still playing. <laughs> this is 2012. <laughs> Brady's getting older now. <laughs> that offense with Tom Brady at the controls oh, was man. as hot an offense as I can ever remember. And the way they just torched the Texans with the quick snaps, with Aaron Hernandez 
and Gronkowski. Oh yeah. You know, the ability to throw the ball to the backs, the ability just to make to find your weakness, know what it is and exploit it instantly. It hurt a lot to see what he did to the Texans. And look, I'll go back to Manning here for a moment since we're talking about quarterbacks. Manning in his prime and the Texans had seen him plenty. He's, what, 18 and 2 all time against the Texans, something like that. 16 and 2 yeah. against the Texans as a Colt. Manning was so good, just torture watching him play and standing at the line for the entire length of the play clock almost on every snap and just making your defense stay in their stance. And he was just toying with you. Third down and six with Manning was terrifying for the defense, at least for me, calling the action as a Houston Texans announcer. So I'll always tip my cap to those guys. But Mahomes in terms of raw talent is probably the best they've seen. He's so talented. Johnny, he can throw any angle. You know, there's the arm slot changes when it needs to. And the pass he threw last week was one of the most ridiculous plays I've ever seen in the NFL. I mean, forget it. I mean, that he's just he's toying with people at that point. And and the the Telstrator did for KPRC, which we'll see on game day, was it was maybe his maybe just a simple pass from him. But I think it's shown how he's evolved. Because I remember him in his the end of his first year. He was talking, he did an interview, I think it was actually at the Super Bowl. He did an interview talking about how he really didn't understand coverages until about halfway through the year. He just didn't understand. And I was like, man, if that's true, when he understands coverage and when he starts really Mm. knowing what a defense is Mm. doing to him, holy cow, look out. Well, I think it was the second play of the game against the Broncos. Chiefs had a couple of receivers and stack alignment left. They just blow off the ball. Kelsey goes up the field and kind of runs like a sail route or a short corner, and Pacheco just comes out of the flat. Well, I, I'm convinced that early in his career, he would try to hit one of those deep shots. Like, ah, I'm taking a deep shot. One of them's Tyreek. One of them's, you know, Demarcus Robinson, whomever. He's going to take a deep shot, or he's going to force it to Kelsey. When, in fact, there's a running back right there, just get it to him on first down and let him see what he can do. He took that check down. He saw the defense. He saw the two guys go off, uh, the two corners, or the two defensive backs go off with the Chiefs receivers. He knew, the, he knew the safety and the linebacker had to go too far to go get the running back, and he just flips out to Pacheco, 35-yard gain, second play of the game. And it just showed, okay, yeah, that's simple, right? Peyton knows. Manning was doing that from jump. Yeah, Mahomes is now learning how to do it, and that to me is the scary part because that's where you really have an issue against him. Like, man, what do you do? Because first and 10, he's just taking profit that's given to him. Third and five, do you heat him up? Do you drop? Do you spy? Like, what do you what do you do against Patrick Mahomes to frustrate him? Sometimes you just have to let him, you know, kind of eat himself up for the inside and making some dumb decisions. He had three interceptions against the Broncos, and that's what you hope is that he turns it over. But the one thing we haven't seen from Patrick, at least against us, is how would he do in a fourth quarter situation? The only time we saw that was 2019. And they went three and out. They went three and out, three and out with two drives in the fourth quarter. Against a defense that wasn't the best the Texans ever had. Right, right. And But he's done it before the Chargers. So that was going to lead me to the question of three minutes left in the game. Team's got one timeout. Got to go 80 yards. What quarterback scares you the most? Who scares at this point? Any point. Was it Peyton? It would be Brady. 
It would be Brady, Brady still. scaring me the most. Absolutely, because he's done it so many times, yeah. and he's Tom Brady. And I think everybody reacts to him being Tom Brady. The defense reacts to him being Tom Brady. The offense reacts to him being yeah. Tom Brady. So I think, and look, it's the easy answer. You go to the greatest of all time. Manny was but no he's the greatest either. of all time for a reason. You know, we talk about the Rosencopter game from time to time. That was such a rough day. They scored. It was 17 points. They scored to cut it to 10. That's yep. what it was when Rosencopter occurred, yeah. right? So Sage gets Rosencopter. <laughs> ball comes out. It's returned by the defense, Gary Brackett, for a touchdown. Yeah. Now you're up three. They got the ball back. Rosenfels turned out to fumble again. I thought there's no way he's going to fumble, but they'll go three and out. You'll kick off to them, and the Colts will score again. At least get a field goal, send right. it into overtime. Look, early on, and that was uh, later than early on, but I remember early on Manning having so many moments, but that first defense, and I talk about them from time to time, they actually did a pretty decent job. Look up the numbers. I think the first time they met them, met the Colts at NRG, it was like 20-3. to three. Yeah, They held the Colts to 20. Yeah, but the offense only produced three. That young Texans offense, and you know, year two, Steve McNair. Steve McNair had a tremendous. Oh, win he here. was so good in the clutch. On fourth and ten, hit Drew Bennett for the game winner oh. on Christmas Eve or somewhere around there uh, in 03. So we've seen some of this stuff, but yeah, Brady would scare me the most. Mahomes would scare me a lot right now. Johnny, do you agree with me on this? If you're not getting pressure with your front four against a Mahomes, a Mahomes, that kind of quarterback. You've got to heat them up, right? Yes. You've got to send people. I know, and Andre always talks about it, quarterbacks like to be blitzed, the good ones, because they know where the blitz is coming from. Well, you better be creative, and you better hope that you find a way to get after him and at least rattle him a tiny little bit, get him off his launching point, get him off his spot, maybe get a strip sack, maybe just force an errant throw. An incompletion would be nice. Thank you very much. All right, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you something, actually, that – I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's actually Frank Clark. Frank Clark had taught me, and I didn't get it directly from him, but it was actually having to do with Deshaun. It was the 2019 playoff game. After the game, everybody's talking about how they eventually slowed the Texans down, what was different in this game than was different in October, et cetera, et cetera. And Frank Clark said something I thought was interesting, and I do think this would be something I would consider against a quarterback, especially like Mahomes, because he does like to do this. What Clark was saying was that they knew that Deshaun with a high side rush in his face. So from his right side, the defense is left. That defensive end would just fly upfield and Deshaun would see that. And so what do you do if you're a quarterback? You duck in and you duck out. Mm -hmm. Well, the Chiefs played into that. They would invite him to do that. They would go up the field knowing, oh, hey, he's going to duck in and duck out. So loop and somebody as soon back as around. He ducked out, they would loop somebody around and all of a sudden, whoa. And it happened a couple times. I remember the second half, and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. That's genius. Yeah. Well, that's what Mahomes likes to do, too. Mahomes likes to get in and get out. And what I've, I haven't understood why a team doesn't do sort of what Frank Clark has talked about, and that is invite him to go where he is used to going. Right. He likes to go up and out. So take your defensive end, rush him high side, and then immediately direct him back. But then take your line and loop it that way, but then also play your coverage that way, too. So if he's going to loop out or if he's going to dart out, then why doesn't your coverage shift, too? Let him throw the ball 50 yards back across the field. That's fine. But basically play half-field football with him. Force him to one side and then keep him there. It's like it's like a press in basketball in some right, sense. Right. I, I haven't seen – now, listen, it's a lot easier said than done. 
But if that's what he likes to do, then invite him to do it, but then adapt your defense to do it. You better don't, be there. Don't play like a middle-of-the-field defense as he's rolling to the right. Now, he can throw back to the middle, those kind of things. But if you kind of shift as he does and you plan that, mm -hmm. you invite it, and then you do it, maybe you have an opportunity. I don't know. This is the way he is evolving as a quarterback is very troublesome. Mm-hmm. And I thought that with no Tyreek, that, okay, the rest of these guys are just guys. They'll make a catch here or there. Mahomes will make them a little bit better. I feel like Mahomes has gotten better. He's been forced to be better because there is no Tyreek. He can't just rely on Tyreek to go the 100 miles an hour down the field, stop, pivot, turn around a curl route, he can hit him. He is now using everybody. And obviously, he goes to Kelsey a ton. And I think that's where he'll try and go in this game because I think our underneath coverage is not what it needs to be. But when it comes to what he can do at the end of the game, we haven't seen that part. We unfortunately experienced Dak last week, but it is something Mahomes does well. But I'm with you. I think Brady is the one that I would absolutely, without question, st I think I would still fear him at 45. Yes, I don't care yes. what's going on with the ball. I would still fear well, him done at it 45. This year. He's done it this year. Johnny Mahomes this year. You you know what on pace guy has to say about oh, all God. this with four oh, games God. left in the season and them chasing a potential one seed. I know that they have issues with the head to head, but you never know. So he has 11 picks after that three interception yeah. performance. So he's on pace to have the most interceptions of his career. career. Wow. Yeah. But again, and pace yet I still is weird. think he's playing better than he has. No, no, he's he's also on pace to have the most touchdown passes he's uh -huh. had since 2018 when he had 50. Right. So this will be second as long as he keeps this pace going, because the high other than that was 38. He had 37 last year. He had 30. He has 33 right now with four games to go. Mm. If he averages, you know, if he averages one and a half per game, he'll smash his second best performance. And I think he's in good shape to do that. Uh, he's also on pace to take the most sacks he's ever taken, but not by much, not by much. So there's some of that going on here. And Nick Casario said it himself. You know, they don't run the ball that much or that well or as well as they want, but Pacheco is playing well. Yep. And Mitch Holtus, we'll have him on later, right? Right, absolutely. He said something about Pacheco that's uh, going to give some people, I wouldn't say chills, but it'll it'll certainly be notable that Pacheco reminds him a little bit of Damian Pierce in Ooh. terms of the angry running style. They're yeah. not exactly the same, but Pacheco will make you feel it. Yeah, and, there's no doubt. He is hungry. He's compact and strong. That was one of the things uh, I remembered about watching him. I wasn't sure exactly where he's going to fit. But he's 5'10". You look at him and you see at number 10, you immediately think Tyreek because that's what you've seen. But mm -hmm. then you see him turn into Jets and you're like, that's Tyreek. And you're like, well, no, 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 that's Pacheco. He's 216 pounds too. He hits it hard. I think they've actually found a better combination with Pacheco and McKinnon than they had with Edward Dillaire and McKinnon. Okay. I think it was, I think it's a better combination because when McKinnon comes in the game, he's scary good, man. He mm. is scary, scary good. So you've got those two. I don't think the receivers are great. I don't know that they need to be with Mahomes the way that he's playing, but I think the, the addition of Pacheco has changed things because that's what they thought Edward Dillaire would give them. They didn't really get that from him, kind of up and down, injured at times. But they're getting it from Pacheco, 
a guy that ended up what going in the what do you go in the seventh round? I think he went. He was a seventh round. Was he was picked two fifty one. Yep, and look what he's doing. Two fifty one. Well, that's the other thing. The Texans are first in the NFL in rookie starts. The Chiefs are second in the NFL in rookie starts. That's amazing. The Their whole secondary is yeah. are rookies, right? So you have a lot of young players. Justin Reed is there, our old buddy as well. Uh, on pace guy also points out that rushing yards this will be at least his second most ever in his career wow and he'll have the most rushing touchdowns in his career he's currently tied with everything else he's had two each of the first whatever what is it six years as a starter so we'll go for oh, it's five years as a starter so we'll go from there and assume that he's going to get at least one more and this is something i like to point out about mahomes he does run with the ball. You and yes. I always talk about this whenever we bring him up. It's not like he's Lamar Jackson. He's not one of these guys. He's not Justin Fields. But what he will do is, I don't mind taking it for 15 yards, whoop, up the sideline and line him up again and let's snap it first and 10. I just moved the sticks because nothing else was open and I'm going to do that. He's always hovered around 65%, very solid, obviously, yep. and thrown a gazillion touchdowns. But it's interesting to see where he's at right now with this Chiefs team. And where he is is right in the MVP conversation, along with Jalen Hurts, the Philadelphia Eagles, Josh Allen, maybe. Josh, you got to have a good finish to be in there. But it feels like it's Mahomes and Hurts down the stretch. All right, let's go around the NFL, hit Texans injury report, get you updated for this one against Mahomes and the Chiefs next, right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm John Harris. Your host, and let's get to a little bit of news, especially this one. If you have been picking up Brock Purdy on your fantasy team, I don't know about this one. He is questionable with an oblique slash rib issue for the game against the Seattle Seahawks. Purdy was a limited participant in practice all week due to those injuries, and head coach Kyle Shanahan told reporters on Tuesday he expects the staff will have its best understanding of Purdy's status on game day, i.e. game day decision so keep that in mind zach wilson had a promotion he's with the number two quarterback uh with some of the injuries that are happening there in new york we'll see uh if he gets to get back on the field but mike white man he took a beating the other day against buffalo but sounds like mike white still ready to go weird situation in atlanta where marcus Mariota is going on injured reserve because he's going to undergo knee surgery now, the Falcons were going to replace him anyways, and then he decided to have knee surgery. Arthur Smith was not too happy about that earlier this week. But Desmond Ritter making his first start this weekend for the Atlanta Falcons. So if you want a quarterback with some mobility, with some yards for your fantasy team, there you go. All right, injury report, way, way too long. Way too long. Mario Addison, Malik Collins, Nico Collins, Brandon Cooks, Jerry Hughes, Justin McCray, Steven Nelson, Damian Pierce, Derek Stingley Jr., Laramie Tunsil, all missed practice today. Kenny Green, limited participant with an ankle injury. Uh, I don't think we're going to see him on Sunday, but that's just me. Kurt Heinisch, Roy Lopez, Taylor Stallworth, other defensive tackles back in action but limited. And then Troy Harrison was a full participant. Kansas City Chiefs, not as bad. They got a bunch of dudes back. So, ugh, don't like the looks of that. But I do like the looks of Mitch Holtis. Play-by-play man for the Chiefs. Let's go man behind the mics with Mark Vandermeer next on Texans All Access. Oh, yeah, you're not a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You're the best fans anybody could have out there. I appreciate you being with me right here on a Wednesday edition of Texas All Access. I'm John Harris, your host. It's time to go men behind the mics. That's right, the two gentlemen will be making the calls. 
for their respective sides. For the Houston Texans, well, you know, it's the voice, la voz of Los Houston Texans. Mark Vandermeer, and for the Kansas City Chiefs, it's the venerable Mitch Holtis, who's been doing it since 1994. He took over for Kevin Harlan. How about that? They went from Harlan to Mitch Holtis, and both these gentlemen do a great job, and I love it when they get together. Let's do a little men behind the mics. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, real treat here, Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mitch, great to have you with us. It's been a little bit since we've met, but here we are, these two teams in different spots. Tell me about the campaign for the Chiefs. Everyone from the outside looking in, making such a big deal about no Tyreek Hill, and clearly the Chiefs have moved on and moved on well. What do you make of the evolution of the offense and, and everything, really, in 2022 here? Mark, it's one of the more underrated stories of the entire league in 2022. In the fact that, yes, after the Tyreek Hill trade, everybody thought the Chiefs would be covered in molten lava by this time. And truthfully, they're, they're number one in the league again in, in passes of 20-plus yards. And yet they've done it with 12 different guys. I mean, there was a reinvention here, not just the offense, but of Patrick Mahomes. He's so well-known for, I mean, his crazy throw last week, the 56-yard touchdown against the Broncos, but instead of just winging it downfield for 60 or 70 yards, he has taken the next step of his career, which is if you're going to give him eight-yard hitch routes, he'll throw them. And then you get a Juju Smith-Schuster that's able to take an eight-yard hitch route make it a 40-yard run, and now you've got a different team that is still explosive but just doing it in different ways. So, yeah, it's a great question because it's, it's really the crux of the matter here and why this team still has a chance to maybe get it all done for the big show, and they're racing for a one seed here against Buffalo. Mitch, take me through that transition from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes because the Texans and the Chiefs, met, what, four times between 2015 and 2017, including the playoff game here in Houston. And the Chiefs were doing pretty well with Alex Smith, but not well enough. And then Mahomes comes in, and it's a complete transformation. What about the coaching staff and Mahomes himself, the ability to go from one look to another and get so much out of it? Well, you're, you're on fire with these questions because this is another underrated question. When you look at the 10 years that the Chiefs have experienced with Andy Reid, which have been 10 winning seasons. Andy just got his eighth consecutive 10-plus win season. That's second all-time in NFL behind Belichick, tied with George Seifert. Now, I say that because the catalyst of that run is the transition, basically, from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. A couple of different things here. One is a macro answer, meaning the organization went through a complete transformation when Andy Reid became head coach. Much more accountability from the ownership group and with Clark Hunt, the chairman and CEO, both vertically and horizontally. Now, that communication line kept everything flowing and everyone on the same page. Second piece is humility. Alex Smith was humble enough. He won 50 games now as the Chiefs quarterback. was humble enough to train Patrick Mahomes in an apprentice year of 2017. Mahomes was humble enough to realize when he came in as a rookie, he didn't have everything figured out. He was explosive at Texas Tech, but he lost a lot of games and realized, hey, I've got to learn. And he absorbed everything from Reed, Eric Bieniemy at the time, Matt Nagy, now Nagy's back, um, and from Alex Smith. Because it was such a seamless transition and actually it was an elevation because Mahomes just is more of a complete quarterback than Alex Smith. That 
they were able to not take some backward step. A lot of teams that try to replicate that, Mark, got to find the right pieces. And the pieces include the ownership, your general manager, your head coach, a humble veteran quarterback, and a humble rookie quarterback. And all those pieces have led to what the Chiefs have been the last decade. What do you think would have happened if they weren't able to move up and get Patrick Mahomes? That was a daring move at the time, and a lot of people passed on Patrick Mahomes. He didn't win huge in college, but you saw the ability. Where would we be at now, Mitch, with no Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City? Well, this answer in December of 22 will sound weird, but guess who was right behind him? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, do they trade up? the next step or if they can't do that then do they stay with Alex and then try to you know go for the next quarterback class but uh, I'm just glad that did not happen but yes I mean it, and the irony here is the Buffalo Bills that did the deal first of all the Bears had to pass on Mahomes to get Trubisky but let's go back in a time machine to March of 2012 or 2017 I should say and Mahomes was – there was this mixed view about Patrick. Oh, he's crazy. He runs around and he'll get 700 yards in a game and tackle lose 65 to 59. I mean, that was the thought. But the Chiefs did a ton of due diligence on him, a ton. And Brett Veach, who's now the general manager, kind of took him on as a special project. And now it's famous uh, because Andy Reid grilled him. Andy, Andy Reid's brilliant. He's so underrated, Mark, mm. as a head coach. And when he retires, probably, is when everything will come out. But he really is going to be one of the top three or four head coaches in NFL history. But he's so brilliant. He was putting all this, all these challenges at Mahomes, and Mahomes was passing every one of them. Now, Mahomes says that Nagy gave him the answers to the test. Uh, that came out on Kelsey's podcast. <laughs> but that's been a ha-ha. But still, uh, Andy Reid had to be convinced, and he was convinced after he put the hot lights on Patrick Mahomes and grilled that kid. That's beautiful. Well, I saw Andy Reid, as everyone has, in the State Farm commercial, drawing on people's faces with magic marker. And that's a side of his personality. Look, I'm not around him all the time. That I've, that's a side I haven't seen. Do you see that a lot around the building? I know it's football. It's serious, especially during the season. There's in-season and off-season mode with a lot of coaches. What about his personality away from the football field, Mitch? Oh, I do see that. And I love the fact that and Patrick, it was his idea to have Andy in the commercial, and Andy had to think about it a while. Um, but I'm glad Andy did it because, yes, Mark, tr- truthfully, that's the side of Andy Reid that I get to see with frequency, and I love it. The greatest attribute of Andy Reid as a head coach and a leader, and he could be CEO, I'm telling you, he could be CEO of any major corporation in Houston. I'm telling you straight up, the guy is wicked smart. Mm-hmm. He's also wicked funny, and he gets the human spirit. But he gets in that state farm mode, and he'll get in there, oh, I don't know, maybe once every couple of weeks. You're just, you just want him, you know, this is so good, man, just live there uh, for a second. But, yes, he's hilarious. He's got his own uh, unique kind of and tribute to the late Mike Leach. Uh, there's some of that with Andy. He's just he's, he's so smart, so funny, that he's a very unique human being. Mitch Holtis, voice of the Kansas City Chiefs with us. And, Mitch, You've had the job for a long time. How long did it take you to know that touchdown Kansas City, I'm not going to say it the way you do, but that that was going to be a staple, a signature, 
that that was going to be a thing? Did it happen naturally and you just sort of caught on? You just decided I'm going to keep doing it this way? How did that work? Some of it was or very organic, as you've alluded to. Then parts of it was, wow, three hard consonants. It's like <laughs> any percussionist, in the, maybe go to the Houston Symphony and ask the percussionist, of like, oh, yeah, that's three hard three hard cymbal crashes right there, man, mm-hmm. for sure. So just, just go with the count. Uh, but, yeah, but it, it was mostly organic. It wasn't contrived. But once it kind of got out there, it was like, yeah, this will work. And now what's funny is – People ask you to do it in the grocery store. I've had people in the church <laughs> behind me go, hey, do it, dude, do it. Like, I'm not going to do it in church in the grocery store. What's fun, what's fun though, is I, I'll see little kids, like maybe out tailgating or I'll walk to, I'm walking through the – and you know what tailgating's like here. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. But you'll see little kids playing a little pickup game or messing around, and they'll say it, and they, they don't know I'm there. Yeah. But I'll hear it, and they're, but my heart will get warm because I thought, you know what, my work is done here. I can yep. – I can move on. That's the beauty of being the voice of a team. There's no question about that. Yes, sir. Uh, Mitch, tell me something about these Chiefs, the 2022 Chiefs that people don't talk about but you really like, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, some facet, some aspect of the Chiefs game, of their performance that's just not getting a lot of ink. The number one team in the National Football League with rookie starts are the Houston Texans. The number two team? are the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. What people do not realize because of the bright lights of Kelsey and and the other thing, I'm going to get to Kelsey in a second if you'd let me do that. Sure. Uh, this is a very young team, very young team. And because they have such a strong uh, superstar presence with Mahomes and Kelsey, I think that the those bright lights overshadow that a team is sitting here at 10-3, and three, can challenge for a bye week, and yet is just behind you guys in the rookie starts. Yeah. There's a lot of rookies that are making impacts on this team. The most notably is Isaiah Pacheco, the seventh round running back who's who's got a little Damian Pierce in him. You know, when you talk about the rookie class of this running backs, uh, Damian's a valedictorian. He, he might be lapping the field. I, I feel badly about his ankle injury, but not far behind is Damian is Isaiah uh, Pacheco. And he doesn't get as much love, but he might soon – if he starts making plays like he did against Denver, which sealed the game on a second and 10 where they had 10 in the box and it didn't matter. And he went Christian Okoye on him. Uh, so th- there's more here than just Mahomes and Kelsey and Reed. Uh, and the second lap of Patrick's career, meaning a second contract, you had to get younger. You had your, your roster must change because of the cap and the, and the chiefs are changing. They're in this kind of metamorphosis. And that part of that is these young players who are getting a lot of experience in playing time and in many cases are performing very well. And then Kelsey's so underrated. I, I, I can't believe it. I would go to the Supreme Court now, Mark, and this is going to sound provincial as the voice of the Chiefs. But I'll just, I'm going to yield this to an, an, a, a, a neutral court. Nobody at the tight end position has come close to what Travis Kelsey is doing. He just went over 10,000 yards. Five tight ends have done it. He's, he did it 37 games faster than the second mm-hmm. closest. Oh, who, by the way, is Tony Gonzalez. Seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. Nobody's close. Uh, when yards after catch, which is a very tight end running back metric, he's number one in NFL history in nine seasons. He didn't play his first year. He played one game on special teams. Then he got hurt. And the others did that yak yardage. Shannon Sharp is second. He did it in a span of like 15 seasons. 
it just it blows me away where nationally the people aren't going, you know, hands down. Okay, Gronk's right there. Gronk's there, but no, he blows away Gronk because now he's passing Gronk um, like the the car at the uh, you know, the Houston NASCAR race, just passing cars like crazy. Uh, Kelsey's way, way, way underrated in what he's done. He's the best at, at that position by far. Yep, I'll uh, I'll concur. I mean, the guy is amazing against the Houston Texans. They've had maybe one good game against him. I think that was the Week Two outing in 2016, putting a yep. corner on him who did pretty well, yep. AJ Boyer at the time. But even then, he had a bunch of catches still, and it was a hotly contested affair. And no Mahomes in that one. So. I know there are going to be some Kansas City well, Mark, Chiefs. Mark, to your point, to yeah. your point, to your point, he makes he beats he beats Jalen Ramsey on a crossing pattern one on one and outruns him to the end zone for a touchdown. Last year, Tredavious White he beats corners, he yeah. beats elite corners, yeah, uh, in the league. And Gronk mm-hmm. wasn't doing that. I'm sorry. No, no, the, and Kelsey's out there for you more often than not. So that's that's the thing. Gronk obviously yep. had health issues and everything else. Uh, Mitch Holtis, voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, joining us. I know there are going to be some Chiefs in the building, some Chiefs fans. Chiefs kingdom travels, and they'll come to Houston. There are a lot of them in Houston. I was joking we should make it Battle Red Day for the Houston Texans Part 2, so it sort of blends in. But give me an idea about how big the fan base is, Mitch, because I know that it's not just the numbers, it's geography. It's the middle of the country. So try to paint that picture for me if you could. Yeah, it's another great question, and that's where, I mean, the kingdom, and it's a unique market. It's very similar to Green Bay. It's this rural-urban uh, mix, but Kansas City's the 30-what second market overall, but it's surrounded by all these markets that are 65 to 70 when you look at a Springfield and a Lincoln and Omaha and a Topeka, and, and so there is this regional appeal. But let me tell you what's gone on since Mahomes has become quarterback. And let's be honest, Mahomes, his appeal goes way beyond Chiefs fans. The Chiefs are one of the fastest-growing teams in the NFL measure metrics of popularity. And one of those metrics is second-favorite team. For example, Mm. um, I live in Houston. I love the Texans. Uh, Let's go. Man, I love Jalen Patriot safety. But who's your second-favorite team? Well, I love the Chiefs. I can't keep my eyes off them. I got to watch Mahomes, and Mahomes is is Tiger Woods of 1999. Sorry, he's just that popular and that big. I'll tell you where else the big growth is is international. Our sales of apparel, uh, you know, they do the watch a ten listen metric. Uh, the numbers of females have gone up. So we there's this epicenter of the kingdom, which is this basically 500 mile. Uh, north to south, east to west, you run into the Broncos west. And east, it's a battleground all the way to get to Indianapolis. But um, it's now this tertiary market that is growing exponentially throughout the country who are just intrigued by mainly Mahomes. But internationally, it's become a deal. It's become a big deal. And um, sales of jerseys. And, I mean, it's, it's crazy to see how that young man – has become in many ways one of these the few strong faces, maybe a Mount Rushmore current face of the NFL, even on an international scale. Amazing. Well, Mitch, we look forward to seeing you. Yeah. I know that uh, you enjoy coming to Texas, and we've seen you here a bunch, not I just doing it. games, but for other events as well. And we really appreciate the visit. Look forward to seeing you in the booth on Sunday. Yeah, I love it. I love the city. Um, 
and yeah, we'll have tons of fans there, and um, it'll be it'll be great. But I do love coming there, and I'm not saying that to just accommodate your your audience. It's it's uh, you look forward to that trip, as you know. In the NFL, there's some trips you're going, oh, ugh, not Houston. Uh, and I got such fond memories. I remember when Jamal Charles was inducted into the Port Arthur Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, we had several days in Houston, but um, I was kind of chopping it up with our running backs. And, and But I saw just in the triangle over there, uh, east of you guys, in that Beaumont, Port Arthur area, just how um, how big that area is for you guys, too. So uh, I know it, it's – I'm looking forward to it, quite honestly. You and I once did a Bear Bryant Award dinner, and I don't know if I was emceeing yeah. it or you were or yeah. we both were. Something was happening there, but I remember sitting and having a nice dinner with you at the head table. Well, and Mac Brown, was he got like National Coach of the Year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like the Touchdown Club of Houston or something. I don't yep. know, but it was, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, but Houstonians get it. I mean, they're so passionate about their sports, and, and the Texans will be back. I see pieces, and I, I like what I'm seeing when I study and do the deep dive into your team this week. Um, and quite frankly, it reminded me of where we were 10 years ago this month, which it was just it was much more bleak than you guys uh, because we had off-the-field issues. It was just a bad environment. Yeah. Uh, so you'll be back. But I also see how Houstonians react to not just professional sports but college sports. And uh, I love – Texas sports. I love Texas high school football. My son coached in Belton uh, for years. I still get the, his, he he knows what to get me for uh, my birthday every year, which is in the summertime. He gets me the Dave Campbell high school football yearbook. So if I need to check out Cy Fair, Fort Bend, or, uh, you know, uh, the Texas city stingerees, I'll be checking it out. But I love that area. I love their passion for sports. So yes, I have a great appreciation for your area. Did Mitch Holtis just drop a Texas City stinger east? That's nice. Very well done. Tip of the cap, Mitch. Really, really appreciate that. And we really appreciate guys making plays. And the guy who made plays on Sunday was Amari Rogers. Amari Rogers will step in to the Deep Slant hot seat next. It's Deep Slant Interview of the Week with Amari Rogers of DP City right here on Texans All Access. It's time for this week's Stats Challenge brought to you by SL. B, to learn more about the Stats Challenge and register to take Stats Challenge, visit HoustonTexans.com to register today. Very easy. Go to HoustonTexans.com and get it done. Our good friends at SLB would really like this number. That is 4.6. 4.6. Now, going into the Cowboys game, Tony Pollard was averaging 6.4 yards a touch. But on Sunday, the Texans held him to a full two yards under his touch yardage average. And he got a few early. But after he got a few early on that first drive, he didn't get much more for the rest of the game. But two yards difference per touch for Tony Pollard last week against the Cowboys. That is a pretty good number. And that is a stats challenge brought to you by SL. B. Now, here's another number for the SLB Stats Challenge. That's four. Mari Rogers had four catches on Sunday against the Cowboys. One of them a tremendous touchdown. Two of them just snatched football out of the air for a first down. He was outstanding. He's outstanding in an interview. With DP Sidhu, it's deep slant time with Amari Rogers. DP, take it away. 
It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, wide receiver Amari Rogers. Amari, I think the most unlikely thing that I tweeted during Sunday's game was that Jeff Driscoll threw a touchdown pass to Amari Rogers. <laughs> Your first reception as a Texan, and it's a touchdown. I mean, how how was that? It was for you? amazing. Uh, just being ready, man. Uh, honestly, the place was the play wasn't supposed to come to me. You know, I was it just wasn't. doing my, no, I was just doing my job and clearing out the safety. And you know, Jeff saw did a good job realizing that the safety's back was turned, so you know he couldn't really see the ball, so he just put it up and just gave me a chance. And you know, that's hats off to him for just trusting me and, and having that faith in me to be able to make that play for him. All right. So when he improvises and it's now you, at what point do you realize he, the ball is coming my way? When I look back. Oh, when you looked <laughs> when at I look, I looked back. I saw the ball in the air. I was like, oh snap. I had to react real quick, and you saw he he reacted kind of funny too, because it's kind of like we both wasn't expecting the ball to come. But you know, I just happened to react faster, and, you know, put my hands up and make the play. So it was his first touchdown pass as a quarterback for the Texans. Your uh, first catch as a Texan, who got to keep the ball? I caught it. I, I got to keep it. That's actually your first <laughs> NFL touchdown, it right? Is, your first. Okay, yes, so you got man. to keep the ball. Where is it now? I was getting painted, so I wanted to, I wanted really? to get painted, you know, just so I can put it in my room or something, so I can look at it and be able to know, you know, where it came from every time. So. Okay. Well, you. I mean, you started. Obviously, you started your career with Green Bay. You right. played the first ten games of the season there. The team that actually traded up and drafted you right. then cuts you, and the Texans scoop you up off waivers right away. Right. So. What was that journey like for you? I imagine that's not where you thought the season would go for you this nah, year. Definitely, definitely not. It wasn't. Um, it sucked. But, you know, I, I was just appreciative of the opportunity, you know, just coming in here. You know, they were the first team on waivers to claim me. So, obviously, that that let myself know that, you know, the teams want me. You know, they see the talent in me. They see the potential. Uh, so, I was just grateful for another opportunity, a fresh start to come in, you know, earn the, own the trust of uh, the coaching staff and the quarterbacks and just my teammates uh, all in all. Uh, just coming in with that flesh state, I feel like it's kind of like being and a freshman all over again. Uh, so, you know, I just took it all in, man. Just came in with my head down, just grinded, learned to play a book. And then when I got the opportunity, you know, I was ready to play. All right. So you get here, but it seemed like it took a while for you to get on the field. You were inactive for the first two games. And yeah. then there was a game that you played against Cleveland, but you didn't really have any targets. Right, right. Mentally, what's going on in your mind when, when that's happening? Because, yeah. you know, I think a lot of us thought, oh, Amari Rogers is here. He's going to be part of the wide receiving mm -hmm. core. But it, the process is a little bit slower than that. Is it frustrating for you? Is it a test in patience? You know, what's kind of going through your mind? I think it's just a test of patience um, and just knowing that, you know, you got to learn the playbook. You can't just come in and just get thrown out there because you'll look stupid and not know what to do. So, <laughs> you, you know, stupid. that was just one of those things I knew coming in that, you know, it's going to take some time to learn the playbook. And like I said, just earning the trust of the coaches so they're, they're able to trust that I can go out there and, and, and make the plays and, and be able to be where I need to be. Uh, so I knew it was going to take some time, you know, inactive the first two weeks, just being getting a feel of the home atmosphere, you know, the first home game versus Commanders, and then in the way atmosphere versus Miami, uh, just getting a feel of both to see how the team moves, how the coaches move, the meetings and away games and stuff like that. And then, you know, when I was active, you know, I was ready to go and I just fed right in. All right, so your number finally gets called when both Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins go down with injury and, and you step up, but you've got two different quarterbacks throwing to you. So right. how do you develop that chemistry? Because I, I think it'd be hard as a receiver to develop that chemistry mm. in a normal week when you've had training camp in the offseason. You had neither of those. Right, right. But you were catching passes from both Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll in the For game. Sure. I think it's just practice rest, man. Uh, just going in and practice, um, just being able to connect to 707, you know, just RVA, you know, just having that timing down uh, just so that in the game, you know, that they're able to trust that you're going to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and it's just as a receiver, honestly, as a receiver, your mindset should always be it, it shouldn't matter what the quarterback is. You know, you, you're going to get open. And if the ball's in your in your area, your job is you to have catch to it. catch it. Exactly. So that's really my mindset. It doesn't matter who's out there. You know, I'm just trying to do my job, you know, get open for the quarterback. And, you know, if it's a run play, you know, block for the running back. 
So what is your skill set as a wide receiver? Like if you had to describe your skill set, what do you bring to this offense? I think I can do a lot of things. You know, um, I'm jet sweep guy. You know, I'm in the slot. You know, jittery guy can run routes, routes on linebackers and safeties and nickels. I can play out wide too with the Z position. Um, and you can put me in the backfield as well. You know, I have background. I played running back my whole life until my We might need you school. to at this point <laughs> in the season. The injuries are piling up. Nah, yeah, man, it sucks. But uh, yeah, I have background in the backfield too. So uh, I, can, I honestly think I can do it all. You know, I just like getting the balls in my hands and just help my team win. I'm um, just getting the ball in space and just, you know, getting active. So, all right. So that when you look up your name, I think one of the first things that pops up is your dad. You mm -hmm. have a very famous dad, yeah. T Martin. I remember him playing for Tennessee, led them to a Fiesta bowl championship. They went 13 and zero in mm -hmm. 1998. Now he's a wide receivers coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Mm -hmm. All right, so growing up with a famous dad like that, did he push you to be a quarterback? Nah, he all? didn't actually. He he, I was, like I said, I played running back. Uh, so when I started playing running back, he just saw I was good at it. So he's just oh. like, whatever, whatever you want to play, son, just play it. Uh, but then he's actually the reason I switched to receiver as well, um, because I was playing running back. He was that Southern Cal receivers coach, and I went out there for their camp, um, and he and I wanted to be coached by him. But I was playing you running did. back, okay. so I was like, I'm just going to play receiver just to see what it's like, just because I want to be coached by my dad, and I did very well. And and they offered me that camp, and that's really why I changed the receiver is because of that camp, just being able to, to play under my dad and taking coaches for him and just making plays in that camp. So that's really why I changed the receiver, too. I think a lot of kids either want to be coached by their dad or they definitely don't want to be coached by your dad. <laughs> right. But you actually liked you took the coaching well what what, are you, what what is it about being coached by your dad that you really enjoyed oh uh, you just know he wants the best for me you know any parent wants the best for a son or their child uh so you just take it all in just know that anything he says is, is because he wants to see me do well uh, so that's what i love the most about it. he's not going to sugarcoat anything he's going to be straight up with me and just let me know you know what it is um and that's that's something that i love you know i love even as a real coach, a, a coach that's not my father, just a coach that's able to be real with you sure. and be transparent and, you know, let you know what you need to work on when it's need to be worked on. And, you know, he's that type of dad and he's that type of coach, too. So you got to love it. Does he watch your film now? Like, did he watch the <laughs> touchdown catch? Like, what does he yeah, think yeah. about you? Yeah, does yeah. he give you little notes? Is he? Yeah, yeah, for I imagine sure. he's busy, but you're still his son. Nah, right. After every game, you know, he he has access to all the NFL films. So he'll oh, watch, okay. the, he'll watch the game on his iPad and then he'll send me some text messages just to, you know, some things I can clean up and stuff like that. So I I'm always looking out for that, you know, and, and even in the game, you know, if I may mess up, I'm like, dang, I know, I know Pops. My dad's going to hear okay. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's a good relationship, you know, I'm I'm definitely thankful for it and just being able to have that that relationship with my dad and, and so he can still coach me up even though he's not my, my real coach. Your dad was also backup to Peyton Manning for the first two years, yeah, so yeah. did he have some good Peyton Manning stories growing up? He hasn't told me any. Really? Uh, he hasn't told me. I haven't really asked him. He must him. have That's such a, a close thing. relationship with Peyton yeah, Manning. Nah, yeah, definitely. They, they definitely have a good relationship, uh, but not. Nah, that's a good question though. I haven't asked him about any stories. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I'd be very curious because I'm sure he's got a ton. <laughs> right. All right. What about you? For fans that want to get to know a little bit more about you, you know, what do you do in your free time? What are your hobbies? Uh, free time hobbies. I'm a big movie head. Uh, oh, okay. So I go every off day. I go to the movies by my by myself or with my girlfriend, my family. Uh, we go to movies once a week. Whatever movie's coming out, I'm going to see it. What's the last just, movie you uh, saw that you'd recommend? Uh, the last movie I saw that I recommend was Black Panther. Okay. The Black Panther. The new one. Yeah. yeah oh, wow. Yeah, you yeah, really yeah. are on top of oh, things. Oh, yeah. For okay. Sure. The new Black Panther. The new Black I saw Panther. It the first I was day like, came okay. out. Not Friday. I saw it Thursday night. You did. <laughs> so, you went and saw it. All right. Yeah. So, what um, about TV shows? Uh, TV shows. That's uh, a lot of good. Uh, American Vandal, even though it's old, I just okay. watched it. Okay. Uh, and I liked it a lot. I so. haven't seen that one. Nah, you should check it out. It's very funny. It's humorous. Okay, sure. so you, you're a big TV movie guy. I, yeah, I can yeah. appreciate I'm that. A big TV guy. Uh, holidays are coming up. Do you have a famous, a favorite holiday movie? Favorite holiday? Shoot, that's a good one. Hmm. 
I don't know if there's any new I'll ones coming Home out. Alone. I guess there's going to be new ones. Home Alone. Home Alone. Okay, that's Definitely. a classic. Home he goes Alone with the classic. classics. <laughs> you know, now that you're here in Texas, it's obviously very different from Green Bay. Have you been able to check out the city or the town at all? A little bit, uh, but I'm waiting to the off season kind of. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stay a couple months after the season ends just so I can get a feel for the city uh, and just move around and be able to do stuff with my family. Uh, but a little bit, I've been able to move around just on the interstate, just looking around. It's, it's, it's way yeah. different than, than Green Well, there's Bay, no so. snow right now, <laughs> no so that's snow. helpful. It's right. 60. It's, it's like a summer it's day amazing. to me. <laughs> so it's perfect, man. I love the city. I love, you know, the people here. And, you know, hopefully I can be here for a while. All right. Well, it was a pleasure getting to know you, Amari. Best of luck for the yeah, rest man. of the season. Thank you. Good dude, good player, uh, good DNA. He's the son of T. Martin, who played quarterback at the University of Tennessee. So hopefully we're going to see more from Amari Rodgers the rest of this year. Unfortunately, one person we will not see uh, is Mike Leach, and that is one of the saddest things that uh, I could possibly have even thought about saying. If you had told me that a week ago, I would have said, come on, man. That guy has got a long life to live, and we're going to need him. Well, unfortunately, he passed. Drew Doherty spent a lot of time with him in Lubbock. When he was the coach at Texas Tech and Drew was working with a TV station there. We'll talk and share some Mike Leach stories going in the lab next right here on Texas All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texas All Access from the Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. I'm also one half of the In the Lab podcast crew. And typically Drew and I will sit down before... We do the podcast, and we'll talk about, okay, we're going to handle these things, these things, these things. All of a sudden, Drew hit the button and started talking, and I knew exactly where we were going to go with this week's episode because, unfortunately, we lost one of the greats, one of the absolute greats at the mic as a coach, a human being, Mike Leach. Drew worked in Lubbock when Mike was head coach at Texas Tech, and he's got many, many stories, but he starts off with one of the best ones here on In the Lab. I don't know that I'd be sitting in this chair were it not for, for Mike Leach. Being around him and seeing him on a daily basis, I got better as an interviewer, uh, better as, a, I, th- I think, a media person. Yeah. And then he was one of my three references for this job. Really? And he said some very nice things for me. My, my first boss here with the Texans, a guy, good friend, Nick Shank. Mm-hmm. I had, had the interview with him in early August of 2009, and as I was finishing, it went well. And as it was finishing, Nick said, hey, uh, Mike Leach is your third reference. Is this real? I was like, <laughs> really? Yeah. And I just said, give him a call. And I didn't, I didn't know exactly yeah, yeah, what yeah. Leach would say. Yeah. But, you know, he had said, hey, if I can help you, just let me know. So I literally took him up on right, it. Right, right. And Shank, later that afternoon, called him at 3.27 p.m. It's August. So Tech, every other college football team, every other right. NFL team, high school team, they're going through two-a-days, mm-hmm. or they're going through practices, or yep. their, their fall camp. And you're trying to get a job. I'm just trying to get a job, man. I'd been out of work for about five, six days. Yeah. So that was, it was still fresh, but right. it was, you know, you're looking for stuff. Sure. He says Leach picked up at 327, explained who he was, and Leach said, yep, happy to talk, but I got to go to practice in three minutes, so we got to make it quick. <laughs> Well, 3.52 comes, and Nick says, uh, Coach, I think I've got enough. I really appreciate it. And Leach said, yep, okay, thanks a lot, bye. And just <laughs> hung up. But he said some nice things on my behalf, and, you know, I sent him a thank you letter, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Saw him through the years. Saw him in Mobile one time at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Between, he was in between jobs. Uh, saw him at the draft last spring. But 
when they played here, when Washington State played here, so he's been at Mississippi State yeah. years, but he was at Washington State before that, they played U of H to start the 2019 season. Correct, yeah. And our good buddy, Brian Peden, who works up mm-hmm. in, in sales, he always rides with one of the coaches from the hotel to the game in case the coach has a question about Houston, about the stadium, anything. Sure. Brian can kind of help him out, and Brian's a good, strong Red Raider, so he rode with Leach. And when I found that out, I said, Brian, I'm going to give you a letter can you please give it to Leach? He said, sure, no problem. So I wrote a thank you letter kind of updating Coach, because I didn't talk to him all the time, but just said, right. hey, man, you know, I've got four kids. I'm married. I now have five kids. I'm married. It's a great life. Got a dream job. You really helped me out with that, and I just want you to know how appreciative I am. Yeah. So I saw him at the game as they were walking in. I shook his hand. He's like, yeah, 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 good to see you. And that was a Saturday. Uh Sunday comes and it's Texans Jaguars. Mm-hmm. His old quarterback Gardner Minshew, darn near led Yo, the Jaguars gosh. to a little, little bit of an upset win. And then Monday, I'm standing next to you in your office. We're talking about three thirty in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, and my phone buzzes and I I look at it and you were in the middle of some story and I just show you who it is and you just start laughing. <laughs> and I picked up. Yeah, I went next door. I talked to Leach for. Just about an hour. It was awesome. Wow. It, was, it was a good, like, good conversation. So, needless to say, I have six zillion Mike Leach stories, and I know you do too. You interviewed him over the years, John. Yeah, we interviewed him over the years. The first year that we had a chance to interview him was the the magical year of two thousand eight. You know, for Texas Tech fans that go back that far, two thousand eight was a magical, yes, magical was. year. I mean, you know, Harold a Crabtree to beat Texas was. I mean, it's a memory that that Texas Tech fans are going to have for for eons and and leach was the architect of, of of all of that and it was it was such a great year obviously minus one trip to norman mm-hmm. so we had an opportunity with the bear Bryant awards to be able to interview mike that that was a rock star year because we got all three coaches from the big 12 bob stoops mac brown and we got mike leach and so because they finished that year that regular season they finished in a three-way tie. Right. They finished a three-way tie, and they all beat each other. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up that Oklahoma got – no. Yeah, Oklahoma ended up, I guess, Just of rankings, winning the I believe. South. It was, they were yeah. the highest-ranked team, I guess. They won the they won the South, and I can't remember who they beat in the North. But then they went on to play for a national championship. Um, I guess University of Florida, Tim Tebow team, they were not going to beat. But And just one little interruption there. So because of that three-way tie, Leach – you know, the day after that, that came out, they're all tied. Leach said, well, I've got an easy tiebreaker. Why don't we, if we're such such a big proponent of being, you know, supportive of student athletes, why don't we just go by the highest team GPA? Well, we have the highest team GPA. <laughs> go back. Go so <laughs> we get to the event, and it was also uh, Barry Switzer Lifetime Achievement Award night, so Stoops was there. And so we had all these great guests. We actually, that was the first night that we met Jim Ross, and so that started a friendship. Um, between Jim Ross and Shawnee and I. And so we interview all these coaches. And so the one that we really were excited about interviewing was Mike Leach. And we had seen an interview that you did. We didn't know you at the time, but we see, we saw an interview that you did. And we just, we, we cackled at it. We loved it. I mean, that was kind of our show. I mean, we were always kind of looking for the, the, the left dating of center. Advice one? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the dating advice. And we had we had a feel that we probably got two segments out of that. And I, at the time, I didn't realize it was you until I met you. I'm like, oh, my God, that was you. <laughs> Anyways, so he sits down, and he was the type of guy that he was – it was the, a little bit intimidating because – 
he was so forthcoming with his time, but yet when you would first kind of meet him, you're like, whoa, does he really want to be here? Is he, and he sat down. It could not have been more awesome. I mean, he was just he, – he, he had a tie on, and I'm telling you, the tie went halfway down his chest. Yeah. It didn't go like a normal tie does down to your belt. It went like halfway down his chest. And I'll never forget seeing that. And I just cackled. And, and I said to him, you know, Coach, I know um, I know a good friend of yours, a guy you coached with for a long time at Valdosta State. He's a good friend of mine, Brady Ackerman. Oh, how's good old Brady doing? I mean, you can do it better than me. How's Brady doing? I said, well, you know, he's in Florida. And I said, he got into, you know, media. And yeah, yeah. He's And he just kind of went on for five minutes or so uh -huh. about Brady. And and um, I just, and that was really kind of my first introduction to him because when I was in Jacksonville, my third year I was in Jacksonville, I moved over to a school called Bishop Kenny for a year. And they had just hired a guy named Brady Ackerman. And Brady had been at that Austin State. That's where he had come from. And that coaching staff was Hal Mummy. The head coach. Yeah. Was the head coach. And he eventually would go to Kentucky. The offensive coordinator was Mike Leach. The offensive line coach was Guy Morris. Yep. Who had played in the league and then was head coach at Baylor and Kentucky. The wide receivers coach was a guy named Dana Holgerson. Yeah. Who ended up being pretty good. And the running backs coach and recruiting coordinator was my buddy Brady Ackerman. And that was at a Division II school of Valdosta State. And they put in the air raid there, and they threw it around. And the irony was they had a running back that also ran for 1,000 yards. And my buddy Brady, I was talking about that. Yeah, yeah, we run air raid, but we ran for 1,000 yards too. So Brady was – he was awesome. He's a great friend of mine. Um, and he's coached at different places and done media. Um, he was the Florida Gators sideline reporter for a while. So he had a successful career. But I used to always say, hey, man, these guys did well. What would you do? I was messing with them with that. And so, so Leach was – always poking at he was always kind of poking too but i i just love the fact with coach leach that i don't know that you know all coaches kind of come out of you know the cookie cutter coach factory but i do know he didn't come out of any normal factory and he was a rugby player at byu he didn't play football he learned the game and he was always one of those guys that, you know, when you hear people say, oh, well, he didn't play the game, he didn't know anything. I'm like, uh, that guy seems to know a whole hell of a lot about yeah. football and everything else. It's funny you say, you know, most coaches come from a – or not – coaches come from like a cookie-cutter factor, and there are many cookie-cutters. Well, Leach parachuted in from the, the Kiwi farm. Yeah, you know, exactly. he was, from he was totally different. Yeah, Right. And, and for him to – he was – I don't know – I never had a chance to talk to him about did he ever feel insecure about the fact that he didn't play the game and now he's coaching the game. He, he never struck me that way. He struck me as a guy that did what he did and they did that air raid, yet they would make subtle adjustments. They would make changes. You know, there's one year at Texas Tech, I remember seeing them. They had these massive, massive splits in their offensive line. Mm -hmm. A split is the distance between one offensive lineman to the next. And so you can have narrow splits, you can have wide. These guys were extra three times as wide splits. And then a couple of years later, you'd see them narrow the splits down, and they were doing some some different stuff. He was always unique, but the one thing, and as a you know a former play caller, I always always am curious how coaches where are their plays? Do they do they have them on a you know this big you know Gary Kubiak IHOP menu card? Do they put them on a like I put mine on a Manila folder? Mm -hmm. So I felt like that was good enough, just front and back. I got to a point where I cut it down. I used to have both sides, like all four sides of the folder filled. Right. I'm like, I can't, it can't do that. Mike Leach would have that little piece of paper 
It was like like a notepad. It was like a notepad. It was like not even. It was like a like three notepad. inches tall, three inches long. Yeah, if that. Mm-hmm. And then you could just see him writing those notes, and he, on that piece of paper. Well, he had about nine. Pl- they'd go into a game with essentially yeah. nine plays. Now right. they'd run them out of, you know, X number right. of formations. Exactly. So really, it was, it was like you know three thousand plays, but right. essentially it was nine plays, and it was just on a piece of paper, and he didn't have a playbook. Did not have a playbook because yeah. his theory was if you give them a playbook, it's just something that they won't look at and they'll forget. Right. So he kept it very, very simple in that regard. And you know, you talk about how he he didn't play the game, and he was fueled and powered by an inquisitiveness that I think all coaches sort of respected because right. he would go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, when he was at Iowa Wesleyan, right. and ask to sit in. On whoever the head coach was back then, I don't. I, maybe it was Holmgren. It might it have been something else. I can't remember when exactly that lines up when he was. But he'd go up there and he just wanted want to hang around. Right. He went to Finland and coached in Finland because he just yep. wanted the opportunity to coach. You know, th- as time passes, a lot of these younger folks don't know as much about him. He's got a law degree from yeah, had a law exactly. degree from Pepperdine, exactly. and he just didn't want to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So. He was just such a fascinating, fascinating guy. I mean, he was an Eagle Scout. I remember going one morning when I was in Lubbock in the summertime. There was a breakfast for you know a bunch of kids who had just gotten Eagle Scout. Yeah. And he was in there with about 30 people, the Eagle Scouts and their dads. And he was talking about his days growing up in the, the Northwest. His dad was, a, I think, a forest ranger. Yeah. They lived in Cody, Wyoming. They lived in some other spots near Reno. And uh, just telling funny stories about growing up, having a tent with his dog that yep. used to pee on the tent, and yeah, it, he was great. It, it, I remember one of the f- the first times I interviewed him. It was after a game, and he looks down at my shoes. And back in like the mid aughts, you know they had those Steve Madden shoes that sort yeah. of looked like bowling shoes that were dressed up. Yep, yep. And you could kind of wear them. Yeah, you kind of wear them to something semi dressy. You could kind of wear them casually. And he looks down. And he's he's just with disdain. And he goes, you know, you're not really fooling anybody with that. You're trying to be sporty. You're trying to be casual, but you're actually being neither. <laughs> and so that was on a Saturday night. And then on Monday, one of the equipment guys kind of called me over. He's like, hey, coach wanted you to have these. And it was just some, like, New Balance running shoes. <laughs> Guy was an absolute gem. Mike Leach, R.I.P., Big thanks to Drew, DP, Amari Rogers, to Mark, to Nick Casario, Mitch Holtis, to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.